Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina, by Elder Michael Goins. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. Call your attention this morning to the 78th Psalm. Those of you who were here last week, you know we tried to speak on the theme salvation in three time zones. We emphasize that God has delivered his people in the past. He does deliver us or save us in the present, and he has promised to deliver us in the future. Today, let's think of this basic grid again, this time under the theme discipleship in three time zones. And I'll read the first seven verses of the 78th Psalm, hear the inspired word of God. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments." You'll notice several references in this reading this morning to the idea of of generations. The past, he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. These are things God has done in the past. The present, we have a responsibility to teach our children, he says, so that the generation to come might arise and teach these things to their children. So we once again have this triplet or this threefold grid of the past, the present, and the future. So this text emphasizes the importance of a transgenerational perspective in the life of Christian discipleship. And I think that's so important in our personal lives that you and I be balanced. That's important in our personal lives of Christian discipleship. It's important in the life of the church to maintain that threefold focus, the historical focus, which reflects on the past with respect, the contemporary focus, which lives in the present with relevance, and the forward-looking focus, which looks toward the future with readiness and preparedness. Now, why is a balanced focus in our lives and in the church so vital and fundamental? And I think we could say because there's a tendency in the culture in which we live to get caught up in fads and movements, to jump on the latest bandwagon. In Christian circles, there is a new fad or movement that comes down the pike every few years. People jump on board and they get very excited about it and they say this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and uh, everybody needs to join our movement. It's the cool thing that's going on at the moment. 
And in the last couple of decades, there has been this idea that we're, we need to rethink church. And you'll notice that many churches these days no longer have the old architecture with which we're familiar. Instead of a split chalice with a pulpit in the center, they have a, an auditorium with a stage up front, sometimes even a band with instruments behind them. The preacher, instead of dressing in typical clergy uniform, the suit and tie, which, you know, is just a tradition, I know, but many of the modern preachers feel the need to try to relate more to their congregation and be more cool and down to earth. Instead of the typical authoritative tone in preaching, there's the need to adopt a more conversational style, we're told, and just speak to people on the level where they live. And this idea of rethinking church has been very popular. And there have been several movements in the last 20 years in this line of thought. First, the church growth in the megachurch movement. You know, the idea that the goal of the church is just to become a megachurch. And I'm not poking fun at any of this. I'm just simply trying to establish the point that the Bible lays out how the church should function, what the church is supposed to be. And it's always a danger to try to jump on the bandwagon for the latest fad or movement that's coming down the pike. After the church growth movement, the Jesus people became a very popular movement. You know, I'm a Jesus person and come as you are. We want a relaxed, casual atmosphere, a non-threatening atmosphere. I've always wondered if that would have worked for Moses when he uh, came down from the mount after 40 days with God and God gave him the Ten Commandments. They said, Moses, where have you been? Well, I've just had a 40-day non-threatening visit with God in a very casual, relaxed atmosphere. <laughs> he was in a precarious place, wasn't he? Take your shoes off, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. And the mountain was quaking and threatening. It wasn't relaxed and casual. But the church growth movement gave way to the Jesus people, then the seeker-sensitive movement, in which the idea was that we need to be sensitive to people who are seeking and provide what they want. The church should be sort of like a shopping mall and have a consumer focus. Then the emerging church, which promoted the ideas of postmodernism, and then today the fad is the woke church with its emphasis on critical race theory and intersectionality and the idea that the biggest problem that we face is racism in America and that has adopted a Christian flavor. But you know, yesterday's fads and movements are not cool anymore today. What was cool yesterday has changed and it's not cool today. Heard about a church who built its facility back in the 90s when Star Wars and the Trekkies were popular and the architecture of that church from the 90s today looks like a movie set from Star Wars. And you know, Star Wars still has its fans, but it's not on the cutting edge of uh, popularity today. So when the Bible says that we are to be a church and serve the Lord's people, what does that mean in a biblical sense? And I think that if we maintain this balanced focus on three time zones, a historical focus, history is important. A contemporary focus, it's important that we speak relevantly 
to the world in which we live, and a forward-looking or future perspective, a generational focus concerned not just about us and our day, but about the generations to come, as our text says. That's the challenge that we face in our lives as a church and as individual Christians. Let's talk about the importance of history first. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16 is where I want to take you first. The prophet Jeremiah, speaking the words of God, says, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, wherein is the good way, and walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. But ye said, We will not walk therein. Now here's the word of the Lord. Stand ye in the ways. Now get in your mind the picture here. The picture is of uh, crossroads. And you can go this direction or you can choose this road, a crossroads. You've all seen a Y in the road. And he says, I want you to stand at the point of decision in the ways and see. And ask, he wants his people to inquire for which path? The old path. He says, stand you in the ways and see. You have a decision to make. And which way are you going to choose in your life? He says, I want you to choose the old paths. Because he says, that's the good way. And walk therein, for ye shall find rest for your souls. Now somebody says, now preacher, I understand that there are people who have a preference for history. There are nostalgic people that love the old ways. You know, some people like to go to the newest amusement park. Others like to tour, you know, the uh, little tourist attractions where they repeat life back in the old days. And you say, I've been there, but it's not my favorite. I'd rather go to the new places of entertainment. Well, this isn't a matter, my friends, of personal preference or personality or natural temperament. This is the Word of God, and He instructs us. This is divine wisdom. God tells you and me that when it comes to choosing the path for your life, it's best to choose a path that has been tested and tried and that has proven to be reliable in the past. Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. What God is saying here is the past is important. There is, in our day, a very strong movement toward completely dismissing the past as irrelevant. And you see it sometimes in Christian circles in the matter of the debate between contemporary praise music and the old theological hymns. You may know that there are many professing Christians today who are unaware of hymns that I've grown up singing from childhood, like there's a fountain filled with blood, God moves in mysterious ways, and how firm a foundation, and holy, 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 and even amazing grace. A few years ago, a contemporary Christian artist took amazing grace, the lyrics to amazing grace, and added a modern chorus to it that says, my chains are gone, I've been set free, and then he re-released it. And it became the rage of an entire generation of Christian young people, they said, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And they didn't know Amazing Grace has been around for about 350 years. And my friends, may I say that there is substance and something solid in these old theological hymns of the faith. You say, well, Brother Mike, that's so old-fashioned, and I prefer cutting-edge kind of music. And therefore, there's an entire generation today that is ready to just completely dismiss the past 
as irrelevant. You see it in our culture, don't you? In the desire to take away statues and the markers of people who played an important role in our country and say that the past is full of mistakes and we need to remake the country according to our enlightened views today. The past just has no relevance to us today. And may I suggest that's really a very proud and arrogant attitude. The idea that people who came before us didn't know anything and that we are the people and wisdom shall die with us. Interestingly, that's one of the things that Job said to his three miserable comforters. No doubt you are the people and wisdom shall die with you. In other words, you think that everybody before you was ignorant. And that's the mindset. That's a popular mindset and it's being promoted today in our educational institutions and in our culture. The idea that history has nothing to say or to teach us. My beloved, as Christians, we need to understand that this isn't about us. We are simply the current generation in a long line of people who have been trying to serve the Lord, and it's just our turn right now to carry the baton. This is just our leg in the relay, and that when we're gone, the work of Christ will continue. It's not our business to rethink the church. It's not our business to try to correct mistakes that have been made. Yes, there have been mistakes made, but we're making plenty of mistakes ourselves right now, right? The point that I'm emphasizing is the importance of respecting the past. You know, that's one thing that primitive Baptists have been pretty good at over my lifetime, emphasizing the need to respect the past. We call ourselves primitive. Somebody says, that's a strange adjective. It really repels people. Understand that the first question is, what do you mean by primitive? I've had people, as you have no doubt, ask me that question. And I usually attempt to respond that it means first or original, and it speaks of our concern to be as close to the original pattern of the church as possible. It's our focus on maintaining apostolic Christianity. We want to teach the same doctrine. We want to practice the same simple form of worship. We want to be like the original. It doesn't mean that we're like cavemen. Somebody says, primitive Baptist, that means that you don't have electricity and you don't have running water and the men uh, drag their women around by the hair of the head like a caveman would and he's got a big club. And... No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking, my friends, about serving the Lord right now based on a tried and true pattern that was laid down by Jesus and the apostles back in the first century. And so there is an importance today. You say, Brother Mike, I don't have any use for history. You may know that Bethel Church was established or constituted in 1887. And that was a long time before I was born. And it was a long time before everybody here this morning was born. There were people who sat on these pews. They weren't exactly like this, no doubt, but who worshiped as a part of Bethel Church. The same gospel, the same hymns of the faith, the same proclamation of the finished work of Christ and the grace of God in saving sinners was proclaimed back then. And my beloved, we're just the next runners in this relay of truth. Carrying the baton, we're just the next ones. We happen to be serving the Lord right now, but let's never forget where we came from. This didn't start with us, and it's the work of the Lord. You see, having an understanding of history is important. John R.W. Stott 
said there has probably never been a generation more suspicious of the old and more confident in the new than the present generation. It is a generation, he writes, in revolt against what it has inherited from the past. It hates tradition and it loves revolution. Such a wholesale repudiation of what is old is, to say the least, he says, extremely naive. I agree with him. And again, I would add it's very proud and arrogant. Now, we've all known kids back in grade school who didn't like history. And some of you were kids back in grade school who didn't like history, right? And we say, that's just so stodgy and stuffy, and it's just not relevant to where I live today. I can't remember all those dates and names and places. But I'll tell you, history is very valuable and important. A good doctor knows the value of history. Have you ever noticed that the first thing a doctor does when you get an appointment at his practice is give you about 15 pages to fill out of your medical history? And you say, what's the use of that? And why do I have to fill it out? Because if he's going to diagnose and make application of medical therapy to your particular case, he needs to know what you've had, what your tendencies are, what your allergies are, what your needs are. He needs to know something about your history. A good doctor understands the value of the past for making decisions in the present. You say, Brother Mike, how does history help us? First, it gives us identity. Our shared past, the fact that we've experience things together and that we are part of the same kind of organization promotes solidarity. It, it binds people together. You ever noticed how that military teams or battalions or groups, you know, or even branches of the military have a brotherhood. There's a solidarity. There's unit cohesion that they experience uh, because they've fought and sweated and struggled together, perhaps in basic training or boot camp. And then on the battlefield, they formed a bond of mutual respect because they have a shared story together. It promotes identity. History promotes identity. People who don't know where they came from don't know who they are. Secondly, history is valuable because it promotes structure. It gives you a context for interpreting the present. The Christian historian Philip Schaff said, How shall we labor with any effect to build the church if we have no thorough knowledge of our history? History is and must ever continue to be, next to God's word, the richest foundation of wisdom and sweet guide to all successful practical activity. So history gives us identity, it promotes structure, and history gives us heroes. I'm a student of biography. If I were to choose one particular genre of literature that I preferred, I would have to say I love biographies. I enjoy reading the lives of people who've made a difference I especially enjoy Christian biographies, but people who've made a difference in the past. Well, my beloved, may I say that our history has many positive role models. Everybody's looking for role models, or they should be, in their lives. It's not wrong to find someone that you admire that shows integrity and character and to seek to emulate to some degree that person while understanding that I can't be somebody else. I have to be the person God made me to be, but yet to find somebody who was devoted to God, who was courageous, who was tenderhearted and compassionate, who has all of the virtues that God's Word promotes and highlights, it's not wrong to find heroes to emulate in your life.
Many of you remember old preachers that made a profound impact on your life. Some of you remember deacon brethren or saintly sisters in the church that were faithful, that were steady, that were good-hearted, that were not wishy-washy, but had uh, a head full of sense, a lot of wisdom, and uh, their lives have left an imprint upon you. You see, my beloved, don't forget the past. Don't just jettison the elderly among us as being irrelevant. We've got to show respect. One of the provisions in the law was even that you were to rise up before the hoary head, before the white-haired person. That is, children were taught under the law of God to respect their seniors and to show them deference. And my friends, may I say that's important in the house of God, isn't it? The world has very little use for the mature in years. The senior citizens are often seen as economic burdens, and they're often uh, discarded as being irrelevant. I mean, they can't contribute to the job market anymore, and they're a drain on medical insurance, some of these modern thinkers say. You say, where do the elderly fit in our society today? There's one place that they still have a usefulness, and that's in the house of God. I love the 92nd Psalm where it says, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall still bring forth fruit in old age. And they shall flourish in the courts of our God. Isn't it wonderful to see a silver-headed saint, a brother or a sister who has walked with the Lord for many years, still faithful to the Lord and still exercising an influence on those of us who are younger and of even upon the little ones, my friends, never underestimate the value of history in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text in Jeremiah says that these old paths offer us rest and stability in a day of turmoil. He says, you shall find rest for your souls. Do you need rest, my friend? Anybody here today who feels to be beaten up and fatigued and war-torn and battle-weary with the struggles of life, I'm telling you the old paths will give you rest. Song of Solomon says, Show me the footsteps of the flock where you feed your kids by the shepherd's tents. The bride wants to know how to find her beloved, and the answer is the way you find your beloved is follow the footsteps of the flock. Look back at those footprints of the sheep, you know. You say, well, look there, there's been a bunch of sheep here. You follow those footsteps from the past, and they will lead you to where your beloved is in the present. My beloved, if you want to be close to God today, it's not wrong to read old writers. In fact, I would suggest you get a hymn book sometime and just read through the lyrics of some of these rich old hymns. I know a few things besides the Word of God more strengthening to the soul than to just read some of these wonderful old hymns of the faith. Lead kindly light, the hymn writer says. Amid the encircling gloom, lead thou me on. That's a prayer to the Lord who is our light. Lord, lead me. While the gloom is all around me, I do not ask to see the distant scene. One step, enough for me. That's what it means to walk by faith. There are so many rich expressions of Christian experience from the past. Don't, my friends, just discard it as irrelevant. History is not a prison to bind us. Somebody says, I'm afraid that it'll just keep me trapped in the past if I get focused on the past. No, it's not a prison to bind you. It's a rudder to guide and to steer 
your ship. It will give you direction. It will help you to remember who you are and what you're supposed to be doing and how people before you have done it and were faithful to the Lord. You know, there's a reason that the Lord told the children of Israel when they crossed Jordan's River, Joshua 4, 6, to put 12 stones in the middle of the water, then 12 more stones on the banks of deliverance. Because he says, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? You will have a visual aid, a reason to teach them history. Then you'll be able to tell them that the Lord parted the waters and he gave us this land. All 12 tribes were brought in through the providence of God. You see, there's an importance in studying history. One of the saddest things, though, even though they put those stones in the River Jordan is in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. It says, when Joshua died... You remember, he's the one that led them into the promised land. It says also that generation which were with him were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. How sad is that, that the next generation did not know its history. And it has been said that every church is just one generation away from extinction. And I think that's true, my friends. Just because the truth is being preached here today does not guarantee that our children and our grandchildren will have the truth and will have the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth like we do today unless you and I are willing and ready to invest the work necessary to teach them, as our text says, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should then arise and declare them to their children my beloved, it's important that you and I take it seriously, the need to maintain the old paths of biblical and apostolic Christianity. Now let's move to the next thought, the next time zone. We've been living in the past for the previous half hour or so. Real quickly, let's come to the present. The church and you and I as disciples of Jesus Christ need a contemporary focus. Now, I, I can't live in the past, and you can't either, right? In my younger days, I read a lot of old literature, and I would read about these little uh, English chapels dotting the hillsides, and I would read about these little families walking hand in hand, the little girls in their bonnets, and the little boys in their vests, and the fathers and mothers riding in their wagons, or walking hand in hand along the cobbled path to the country chapel. And the little country parson, you know, the preacher would get up and he would preach a message about the beauties and excellencies of Christ. And the people loved each other and there were great revivals. And I would think, I, I think I was born in the wrong century. <laughs> and I should have been uh, born back in the 17th century or the 18th century. And instead I was born in the 20th century. And I think that uh, I'm a man out of his time. I used to think, I wish I could live back then. And you know, for a while, I tried to mimic and imitate the way they did things back then and tried to remake the church that I served into one of those old, quaint country chapels. And it just didn't work. It didn't take. The people wouldn't go along with it. And I thought, what am I doing wrong? And the fact is that while we can appreciate and understand the past, and to realize its importance to who we are and what we believe. I can't live in the past. You can't live in the past. God has given you gifts and he's given me an opportunity. And we have to maintain a contemporary focus. We have to live in the present. 
Acts 13.36 says, After David had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell on sleep. And the next verse interestingly says, But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Now, I want you to notice the contrast in Acts 13.36 and 37. The contrast is between the single generational impact of one man, David, and the multiple generational impact of the Lord Jesus Christ. After David served his own generation, he died. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. The contrast in this passage is between the temporary impact of David's life and the timeless impact of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Okay, now that's the context. But yet, let's focus on this idea that David did serve his own generation. He didn't serve the previous generation. David didn't say, I want to serve in Moses' day. He couldn't serve in Moses' day. David lived a long time after Moses. David didn't serve in the modern technological age. He served his own generation. You know, we walk out here in the cemetery and we see people that have passed on and some of them we remember and we say this person played an integral role in this community or this part of the country or in this church but they're not here anymore. And what good was their life? They served their own generation, right? They had a 70-year period or an 80-year period or sometimes shorter, sometimes a little longer. God had given them life and opportunity and my friends, they made hay while the sun shined. Can I say it like that? That's right. Or like Jesus says it, John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day because the night cometh when no man can work. Yes, there is an important need for us to live in the present. So many people dwell in the past. Others are constantly worried about the future. But my friends, God has called us to serve Him today. 2 Corinthians 6.2, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Hebrews 3.7 says, today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. My beloved, don't waste today for living with regret over yesterday or living with fear about tomorrow. Today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Now there's a danger, isn't there, to worship the past. Ecclesiastes 7.10 is a verse all of us need to learn by memory. Say not that the former days were better than these, for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this, have you ever stood around a shade tree and heard a bunch of old-timers talking about the crowds that they had at meetings back in the old days? <laughs> now, I'm glad to hear those stories. I love it. And the fact is, we don't have those kind of crowds. We don't have to open the windows and open the doors so folks can hear because there's an overflow crowd, do we? Very seldom do we have to put chairs out to increase the seating in the sanctuary. I'd, I'd be glad if that happened on a regular basis. You say, well, back then we used to. Well, I'm, I'm glad it did, and I think it's wonderful, and I, I'm, I'm sorry I missed it. But my friends, I've got to live where I am right now, right? I can't live the life others have already lived when they finish their course. I have to live where God placed me in His providence right now. And I'll have to tell you that it dawned on me a couple of years ago that my life is that I'm passing away. I'm passing away. It, it dawned on me that I'm getting older. 
And it kind of scared me a little bit. And I thought, if I'm going to get anything done, I need to buckle down and, you know, I need to get out, shift out of first gear, <laughs> get into second, third, fourth, and even fifth gear and ride on down the road and devote myself to serving the Lord while I have an opportunity. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. Because the night is coming when no man can work. That's what Jesus said. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, says Ecclesiastes 12.1, while the evil days come not. My friends, you have to live in the moment. And you have to serve God in the moment. Make your life count by redeeming the time right now. Buying up the opportunity. Don't waste your life in trivial pursuits. That's what I'm saying to you young folks today. Don't waste your life frittering it away, playing a game of hopscotch, my beloved, when you could remember your Creator, learn the Word of God, read your Bibles, and devote yourself to serving Christ. You say, well, there's plenty of time for that later. You know, tomorrow never comes. I scarred my children, I think, when they were growing up. I'd, they'd say, Dad, can we go to the, uh, to the convenience store today? I'd say, no, we can go tomorrow. Then the next day arrived and they said, Dad, you said we can go to the convenience store today. I said, no, I said we can go tomorrow. They said, well, it is tomorrow. I said, no, it's today. <laughs> and then the next day, Dad, you said we could, no, it's today. It's not tomorrow. Tomorrow never gets here, does it? You say, Brother Mike, bless their hearts. <laughs> That's pretty cruel. But the fact is, my friends, you're not promised tomorrow and I'm not either. Our dear friend that passed away, we mentioned this morning, 77 years of age. Some of you kids say, ooh, that's pretty old. I'm telling you, it's not as old as it used to be. 77 is quickly approaching. It's, it's not as old as it used to be. And you say, Brother Goins, I don't like to think about this. It's unpleasant. I'm telling you, my beloved, let's not be so tied to this world and so afraid of what might happen that we forget who we are and what we're here for. We're here to serve the Lord, right? David served his own generation according to the will of God. David served the purpose of God in his own generation, and then he fell on sleep. But the Christ that he served has been risen from the dead, never to die again. His cause continues. Charles Wesley said it like this, God buries his workmen, but he carries on his work. I'm thankful for the preachers I've known that played an integral role in my life that were faithful to the Lord. I honor their memory. I have fond memories of times of fellowship with them, of sermons that they delivered. I honor the memory of deacons and sisters and families in the church from the past, and I'm so thankful for them, my friends, but I'm telling you that their work is done and ours continues right now. And let's not miss the needs of the moment because we're living in the good old days, say not that the good old days were better than these, for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this matter. Somebody says, oh, the church, we can't, we can't be modern. We, we're afraid of being modern. We might lose who we are and lose the truth. I understand the fear. But you know, that can easily give way to the idea that we fail to be relevant to the needs that exist today. The poet said it like this, like a mighty tortoise. You know the song, like a mighty army moves the church of God? He rewrote it, like a mighty tortoise moves the church of God. Brethren, we are treading where we've always trod. <laughs> it's, a, it's important, dear friends, to be relevant. 
we must know the times in which we live and devote ourselves to serving Christ at such a time as this. You say, well, Brother Mike, how can we speak with relevance to our generation without sacrificing the integrity of the church? By speaking the truth in love. I want to say the main thing our generation needs is the unchanging truth of God. Our world does not need the church to try to be more like the world. Say, okay, well, we need to give them what they want. Here's what the consumer is asking for. This is the demand. Our job is to supply the demand. I beg to differ. Our job, my friends, is to know nothing among them save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And for those whose goal is, oh, sir, we would see Jesus, we want to provide the opportunity for them to see Jesus. I believe the thing people need the most, whether they know it or not, is the old-fashioned gospel of the grace of God, the truth of the sovereignty of God, the truth of the Creator God, the truth of a God who has all power. There's nothing more up to the minute in its relevance than the Word of God and the tr truth that it contains. God's Word is always relevant. Charles Spurgeon said, That man serves his generation best who is not caught by every new current of opinion, but he stands firmly by the truth of God, which is a solid, immovable rock. I agree with him. And then thirdly, we need not only a historical focus and a contemporary focus, we need a generational focus. You know, the king, I forget exactly which one it was. He was a godly king from the Old Testament. It may have been Hezekiah who was told that because he had allowed the king of Babylon to come in and to look at all of his treasures in the house of God, you know, he was showing it off. God said one day he's going to come and take those. He knows they're there now. He's going to come and conquer you when your son becomes king. And Hezekiah, I believe that's who it was, said, well, at least there shall be peace and truth in my days. You know what he's saying? Well, I won't have to worry about that. At least it won't happen till after I'm gone. He was thinking only of his life. I'm telling you, my friends, as Christians and as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to have a transgenerational focus, not just concerned about the cause of Christ and serving him right now as long as we're here, but we need to be thinking about these children and these grandchildren and the young ones in our community my beloved, I'm so thankful to have had the joys of the Church of Jesus Christ, but I want my children. I want it to be here for them. And I can't make that happen. I can't guarantee that will happen, but I can do what needs to be done right now to try to invest in that. That's what our text is talking about. We will not hide God's Word from our children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and his wonderful works that he has done. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about family worship. He's talking about families getting together and reading the Word of God to their children, reading the Bible stories, reading the Psalms, reading Proverbs, teaching biblical principles. How important it is that we turn off the television from time to time and sit down together as a family and have a little devotional service together and seek to teach our children the Word of God, and not only in a formal way, but in the day-in, day-out routines of daily life, as Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, when you rise up 
And when you sit down and when you walk by the way and when you sit in your house, that is in every eventuality of daily life, he says, teach my principles diligently to your children. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and write them on the posts of your house. Religious graffiti. Write them on the posts of your house. And on thy gates, put signs up, Bible verses in your home. Not a better kind of decoration. You say, I'm looking for a Monet, a print of uh, Da Vinci or Monet or some great artist. My friends, that's fine, but uh, put up a few verses from the Bible. Pin them up on post-it notes on the bathroom mirror. Talk about them with each other because there's nothing more important you can teach your children than the precious truths of God's Word and the principles of the church of Jesus Christ. We need a generational focus. Verse 6 of our text says that the generation to come might know them. You know, David was told you can't build the temple. He, David wanted to engage in the project of building a house for God, and God said, no, because you've shed much blood, David. You've, you've been a warrior. You've been in a lot of battles. You can't build the temple for me, but your son will build the temple. You know, instead of pouting in disappointments, you know what David did? He spent the remaining years of his life making preparations for and provisions for the building of the temple so that when Solomon was inaugurated as king, he could hit the ground running. You can read about that in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29. Two wonderful chapters in which David talks about gathering gold and silver and stones and all of the items necessary for those that would come after him. Heard a story about John Rippon who pastored New Park Street Church in London, England before Charles Spurgeon came on the scene. It was John Gill, then John Rippon, then Charles Spurgeon. And he said, Dr. Rippon used to pray publicly in his public prayers, Lord, bless the next pastor who will come after me to serve these people. Now, why would a minister be thinking about the next pastor? Because he's concerned for the ongoing good and well-being of the cause of Christ, not just in his day, but he's concerned that it would be there for generations to come. My beloved, none of us really can touch our generation at more than just a few points. Most of us will probably only impact it at one point. But at that point of contact is the place where you can serve. It's your place of service. May we be as the psalmist David, who wrote Psalm 71 and other passages that we've referenced today, who in his life as a shepherd, or as a warrior, or as an exile, or as a poet, or as a king, whatever hat he was wearing, he devoted himself to serving his own generation and fulfilling the purpose of God on his life and making preparation for the generations to come. We need to live as servants to the Lord Jesus Christ in all three time zones, past, present, and future. Oh God.